The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am interviewing Natalie Allen. She is a mental health counselor at the master's level, and she feels her purpose is to help people feel good and accept who they are, the good and the not so good parts of us. On today's episode, we talk about cognitive behavioral therapy as an approach to help our mind, body, and soul feel more rejuvenated and give us more control back in our life. We also talk about setting boundaries and different approaches to counseling and therapy. Natalie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Of course. It's so exciting. (laughs) Yeah. And I have so many questions for you. So I'm excited to dive into those. Before I do, is it okay if I ask you a question from my interview deck to help our listeners get to know you a bit better? Yeah, for sure. I love that. Okay. Awesome. So your question is, what specific work of art do you admire the most? What specific work of art? Okay. So I have this painting that I got when I was in Cuba, and I think that is probably the specific work of art that inspires me. Is that the question inspires me the most? Yep. Yeah, it inspires me the most. I can actually show you through the screen. So this is it. It's this awesome, beautiful, colorful, Pablo-y abstract thing. I think there are beautiful pieces of work out there that are very popular. If I have to pick one, Vincent van Gogh is pretty cool. I do love the texture, the color schemes, the story behind half of his art. They're pretty cool. But if I have to pick a personal one, it would definitely be that painting. It's just, it's so beautiful. I call her Stella. I love yellow and oranges and stuff. And it just makes me remember, makes me feel the duality of a human and the the importance of having both sides to be more balanced so she has like two eyes on one side and one eye on the other and it's like blue and yellow and they're like contrast so (laughs) my picture my picture would be my favorite one I love all the bold colors too funny story I'll make this quick so in college I studied abroad in Paris for four Mm. weeks And I specifically remember we went to a museum with our class and our instructor who was with us asked us, what do we think this piece of art that was on the wall means? And it was an entire wall that was just painted white. And the art was simply a black square, a small black square. I almost thought it was like a vent in the wall. And so everyone was saying these ideas and I didn't have any. And finally it came to me and I was so excited to share my thought of what this could mean. And so I had said, maybe it means to think outside the box because it was just a black box. And he immediately shot it down. He's like, nope, that's not it. <laughs> I was like, well, that's not 
how you're supposed to interpret <laughs> it's art. It's art. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Yes, exactly. Awesome. All right, so yeah. let's dive in. As I said, I've got a lot of questions for you. Let's start off pretty basic though. So my mm -hmm. first question is, what is the difference and is there a difference between counseling and therapy? Yeah, that's a really great question. I, I feel like I have to tell this to the clients that I have and I had to do the research when I decided to do counseling for my master's. There is a difference. So therapy is more long-term, it's more looking at every single thing, analyzing everything, how it makes you a person, and it doesn't really have an end date. Counseling, on the other hand, tends to have an end date. So counseling is more of a short-term type thing. So somebody would have a problem or an issue, they would come to me or to another counselor out there in the world, and we will address the problem, understand it, how is it affecting you, and then try to come up with the solutions together to fix the problem. And when that problem or issue is solved, we will gently wean you off of us and say, you got this. <laughs> so the difference between those two would be, I guess, school time, hours, the degree you get, and then the actual amount of work you meet with the patient. Gotcha. I like that. With the way that my personality is, I like knowing that there's a start mm -hmm. and there's an end. So there's a goal to it. It's not just this lifelong thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I like okay. it too. Yeah. <laughs> so what is cognitive behavioral therapy? I've been hearing a lot about CBT recently, specifically in the world of MS, but even in other mm. areas. What is CBT and what are other forms of therapy or counseling? Okay, so CBT stands for Cognitive Behavior Therapy. The cognitive is the thinking, the behavior is your actions, and the therapy is therapy. So CBT talks about how our thoughts create a feeling and our feelings create our actions or our behavior, and the behavior creates the thought, the feeling, so it goes in like a triangle, right? So CBT is about interrupting, I would say, the thought and then changing the feelings that we have with it so we create better behaviors or coping skills. So it's really kind of just interrupting, stopping, changing the way that we're thinking about something specifically and creating new ideas, thoughts or feelings with it to have different outcomes with it. So one thing I'm thinking about would be trichotillomania, right? Trichotillomania is the pulling or plucking of the hair or skin on your body. And people usually do that because they're really stressed out or anxiety. So the thought is I have a lot of work to do. The feeling is I'm really stressed out, I'm anxious. The behavior would be pulling out your hair, right? You can create a nice good bald spot by doing that or lose all of your nails or something. And it's not that great. So we'd want to change that behavior because it's not the most healthy coping skill. So work would be the thing that's causing us a lot of stress. We need to do our job. So it's not really a lot that we can do. But maybe we can reframe how we're feeling about our job instead of like, oh, I have to go to work. I have to do all this. I get to go to work. I get to make money. I get to go on trips because of this. So changing the thoughts that we have and then changing the feelings with it. And by changing the feelings and the thoughts, we can start hopefully creating new, better coping or behaviors with it. So instead of plucking our hair, we could paint. I know sometimes somebody suggested when you pluck one, because sometimes it is really hard to just change the behavior right there. Sometimes when you pluck it, you can give it a name and by naming it, you feel bad about taking it out. And it's just small things, small changes to change a big behavior or problem that we don't want anymore. 
So wow. that's CBT. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love thinking of it in that way because so often we just think of it as one thing. Like I'm nervous and I pluck my hair, but we almost forget that it stems from a thought that we have. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Right. So that's CBT, but there's so many things out there for therapy and counseling. I know there's animal therapy, which is something I want to look more into, where people have cows, goats, um, horses. I want dogs and pigs and cows and stuff, and people can come, brush them, take care of them, be responsible, learn more empathy, and that helps with just becoming a more calmer person. And I would say that's really great for kids, for sure. There's paint therapy or or art therapy, there's music therapy, there's dance therapy, there's DBT, which I forget exactly what it stands for. I know there's the eye movement, the rapid eye movement thing that you can do for trauma. There's acupuncture, which kind of incorporates into some types of therapies. Simple talk therapy is the most common one that people do, but there are, I don't want to say hundreds, but there's a good amount of different therapies and approaches out there for sure. I think that's really helpful for people to know, because I am sure that there are some people who have experienced talk therapy or maybe even music therapy or art therapy, and they just felt like it didn't work for them. So it sounds like if they feel that way, there's lots of other different options that they could try. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. So can you explain what a holistic approach is when it comes to counseling? Of course. So holistic approach is my thing. I love holistic approach, right? So within counseling, I'm doing like the Rogerian theory, right? So Rogerian theory, it's about coming as a person to the client or the patient or whatever we want to label them and accepting them as a person too. So we're both individual people coming together and it's a relationship and it needs to be an unconditional, positive regard, loving relationship. And with that relationship, whoever is the person that needs help or change or growth or whatever it is, they will get that within the relationship. So that's the Rogerian theory that I have, right? With that, I am doing holistic approach. Holistic approach is understanding that as a person, I am a mind, a body, and a spirit or a soul. And those three things need to be balanced for me to be balanced. So it's about taking those three things, understanding how they affect each other, understanding how that creates me, that creates you, that creates anybody, and what needs to happen when one of them gets off balance. I would consider it as an equilateral triangle, right? So you have your mind, your body, your spirit right here. When things are good, it's a nice triangle. But when one of them gets thrown off, the triangle kind of starts turning into an isosceles, scaling type thing. There's your math stuff right there, everybody. (laughs) It turns into that. So if I I dance, I do dance, um, and every once in a while, I will get an injury. And when I get an injury, I'm physically hurt, right? And because I'm physically hurt, I can't really go to my classes that much. I have to rest, I have to just sit in bed, ice, all that stuff. And because of my physical injury, it's now starting to create this idea in my head, my mind, where I'm just like, I'm gonna fall behind, I'm gonna suck, now I have to redo all this stuff again. And I start having kind of a negative dialogue in my head. And because of that negative dialogue, my spirit, the thing that kind of connects us, creates the joy and all that stuff, it's getting affected too. So I might just stay in bed for a day or two and just watch TV and not shower. I might just avoid people. A lot of things might happen. So because of that physical thing, it threw off the other two. So now I'm really off balance. And it's the same thing in reverse. So if I go through a breakup 
that's not a physical pain, but because my spirit was just kind of ripped from this other spirit or my mind is thinking negatively about it, like, oh, you're fat, you're ugly, you're whatever, it can create those physical pains too, right? So heartbreak, it's just in the head, but people really feel like, oh my God, my heart's breaking, I feel sick, I can't eat. It's the mind and spirit affecting the body. So it's about those three things coming into play and how they just help a person or might not help the person correctly. Wow. And again, I think it's so powerful to view it in that way, to separate all the things, because then you can analyze, okay, what part of me is it stemming from? And then Mm -hmm. what can I do from there? And I think this so relates to everyone on earth, but especially people with MS, because MS symptoms tend to affect our physical body the most. So Mm -hmm. it's things like weakness or difficulty walking. And so exercise is hard. Just moving around is hard. So that's going to then affect your mind and your spirit. So question of the day is how do we fix it? What do we do? How do we fix it? (laughs) Oh man, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, How do we fix it? So you know, there's not like a real answer for that. There's not like, oh, this is what you do if something's wrong. It's really up to the person and up to their client, to the counselor or to the therapist or whoever it is working with them to kind of understand the person as a whole, again, as a whole and what works with them. So with MS, I don't know much about it, but I would just really for the first few sessions or few weeks or just with the beginning of the relationship, I would probably just be as open to whatever it is that they have to say if they're angry, if they're sad, if they're frustrated, if they want to give up, like whatever it is, it's about understanding that their feelings are very valid and true and being there to just hold that space with them. And sometimes it is just about holding the space and just being able to just finally release because I know for a lot of things, not even just with MS, a lot of people are just like, you'll be fine. Don't be sad. You're okay. Just toughen up. Just do that, whatever it is. And that doesn't really help a lot of people, if anybody, very few people like, you're right. I don't need to do that anymore. So holding the space with them, feeling what you're feeling, and then understanding how it's affecting you. If you're sad, that means something is really wrong. Something isn't going right for you. What is the thing that's not going right for you? And when you can really understand what's going on in your world, you can start making small changes so that eventually it does go right for you. We have a lot of control. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like we have a lot of control, but for the most part, we have a lot of power and control for our own lives. I hope that answers that that question. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just hearing that we have a lot of control, even if it doesn't feel like it, just knowing that we do or that we should, I feel like gives us some of that power back. Mm Okay. So sounds to me like clearly this is an individualized approach. There's not just one answer of, oh, Mm-mm. you are physically injured or, you know, your MS is a- attacking your mobility. Okay. Do these steps, mm-hmm. but more so a matter of figuring out what mindset and what you, other things that you can do for your spirit that might help that. Yeah. Triad of- like what's your problem? What's your issue? And you and I had talked before about the power and necessity of feeling all emotions Mm. rather than ignoring them. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. This is like my favorite thing to talk about, feeling all of your emotions. So when we're young, like my sister has two kids and like she's really great at saying like, what's wrong? Okay, love, I hear you. And just like validating whatever is going on with them, no matter how ridiculous it is sometimes that I think, but 
she's really great at it and I think it's awesome because it, it really does help them understand and kind of just like feel everything right so when we're young hopefully we have great people in our lives saying like what's wrong use your words explain and then school <laughs> at one point school and the age of getting older and stuff it kind of smushes that down says you're a big person you shouldn't be crying about that use your words this isn't that big of a deal and people kind of tell us stop feeling what you're feeling now at this point so to go from feeling everything to not feeling everything is very confusing and little kids are really great at being like i'm hungry i'm mad i'm upset because you took my ball away or whatever and they're great at that but when we get older because we're trained at a certain age, I would say like fourth or fifth grade, because that's the big kid age, they tell us not to do something. And so we've trained from that age to forever to stop feeling our emotions. And by not feeling them, we have a really hard time understanding what's going on with us. So this is like our broadband of uh, emotions, right? Our spectrum of emotions. This half would be happy, joy, all the great emotions that we want. The other half would be the bad stuff. By not allowing ourselves to feel the bad emotions that we think are bad, it kind of shrinks the spectrum for all the other emotions that we really want to have too. So it's really important, not only because we want to feel these, but it helps us. It just helps us throughout the day. I know that there are moments where I wake up and I'm just like, oh, I'm feeling kind of poo-poo right now. And there's probably no real reason why I'm feeling poo-poo, but I just am. And because now that I'm able to just wake up and be like, oh, something's off, something's weird, I can come to my relationships and say, I just want you to know I'm having a hard day. <laughs> it has nothing to do with you. I'm just cranky. I'm just feeling this type of way. I need my space. It doesn't mean anything. I'll reach out when I'm ready. And because I can show up now better to my relationships, just friendships, romantic family, they improve because I'm more open and honest and more understanding about myself. When you can label what's going on with you, it is so much easier to speak your truth, to get what you need, to set your boundaries, to just live a more productive, wholesome, balanced life. Yeah. So one thing that I personally struggle with is I feel like anytime I'm experiencing any type of emotion that I would call a negative emotion, whether it's sad, mad, upset, et cetera, I feel like I can't just label it and move on. I need to determine why I'm feeling that way. Yeah. Is that important? And if so, should you do that all the time or just some of the time? What are your thoughts? Great question. And yes, for the most part, yes, yes, yes. You definitely want to be able to feel them because it's going to happen, right? You want to be able to feel them and you should be able and you should want to be able to label them as correctly and as precisely as you can. You don't have to do it all the time because it's kind of unrealistic to do it all of the time. It's a lot. But the more practice you have with it, the easier it is to be like, oh, I'm frustrated. Oh, I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm whatever it is. And it's quicker, it's a quicker response to just get back to solving it, moving with it, understanding it, and getting back to your balance again. So you said the bad or negative emotions. I love that because there's no real such thing as a negative or bad emotion. They're all really important. When you feel anger, right, it's because our boundaries are being crossed. Somebody's doing something to us that we feel like is unfair we're not being heard, whatever it is. Anger is actually really powerful and beautiful because it keeps us safe. It keeps us strong and protected. 
and not kind of being bulldozers <laughs> over other people or anything. So yes, you want to be able to feel them. You want to be able to label them. You want to be able to understand and move with them, but you don't have to do it all the time because that is very exhausting. Sometimes it's okay to be like, oh, I'm mad. All right, keep going. Right, right. Yeah, because yeah, sometimes I feel like I never move on from it because I think to myself, oh, I'll think about it later. Like I'll try to determine why I'm sad later. Mm. <laughs> You've mentioned boundaries a few times and about two years ago, I was talking to a friend and we were talking about boundaries and I actually said the words of what are boundaries? Like mm -hmm. I truly just did not know what they were, how to implement them, what it meant. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of take us through that of what it is and then also a guide as to how to set boundaries? Are they different for each people? How should we go about doing that? Yeah, another great question. Simple definition, boundaries are limits, right? They're limits. Boundaries are only boundaries when you express them to the other person or to whoever it is. If you have something that's a limit in your head or in your body or your spirit and nobody knows what it is, it's not a boundary. That's just you in your head. It's only a boundary when you finally express it to whoever, whatever situation it is, and it's known, right? So a boundary for me would be if I'm in a conversation or an argument or something with somebody, it doesn't have to be romantic or whatever, but any type of person, if I feel like they're getting too loud, I will calmly say, I'm not going to continue this conversation if that's how loud you're going to be. And just by saying that, I'm setting the limit that if you're going to start getting loud or extreme, I'm going to leave. I'm going to walk away. This is going to be the end of it. But I'm willing to talk about this if you bring it down. So I don't care how upset you are. You have the right to be as upset as you want to be, but you're not going to bring volume up to here because it's not productive to anybody or anything. But if I just keep that in my head and they get loud or they start yelling or something and I get upset, I have the right to be upset, but I can't be upset that they crossed the boundary if they didn't even know it was there. So boundaries are limits that are known to everybody and to the person you're trying to talk to. I like that. And this might sound silly, but how would someone go about creating a boundary? You know, even if it's relationship related or work related, because mm -hmm. the way that it came up with someone said, what are your boundaries that you have? Mm. What are boundaries? I don't have any of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes we don't really have boundaries because we don't even know that we're allowed to have boundaries, right? The only way you can really understand what your boundaries are, are to kind of do some self-work and understand what makes you feel some type of way, what makes you upset, what makes you feel uncomfortable, what makes you feel like somebody's passing a certain limit, and understanding what gets those gears grinding a little bit. So understanding yourself a little more, what is okay, what's not okay, and then understanding what are you comfortable with and how you express yourself as a person. So some people, like myself, I'm really good at saying no. No, I'm not doing that. No, that's not my thing. I will not do that, right? I have no issue with saying that. I'm great at saying no to people. Some people have a really hard time saying no, and they need to kind of skirt around it and be like, oh, I really appreciate you for saying that or inviting me, but I'll have to think about it and let you know later, right? That's kind of a, an easy way of saying no, but not really. So it's about understanding what's your thing, what's okay, what's not okay, and then how comfortable about going forward with the boundary setting that you want to be. So you can write it, you can say it, you can send it an email through a text from afar, like whatever it is, 
figuring it out how it works for you and then doing it. Awesome. I like that. Okay. So my final question for you is, and I feel like this is kind of a loaded question, Mm. but my final question is, I was hoping you could explain how trauma and anxiety Mm. play a role in our day-to-day life because we all experience anxiety and trauma in some regard. Mm. And again, especially when it comes to MS, MS alone can feel like a trauma and everyone is different. Maybe they notice symptoms right away and it never changed, or you never know when it's going to happen. How does that play a role in our day-to-day life? And is there anything that we can do about it? Okay. I have to think sometimes, so I pause. And it's okay to pause and think in mid-conversation, so it's okay. So anxiety is something that's actually very productive for humans, right? We need to have some type of anxiety or anxiousness throughout the day. Anxiety is this thing in our brain that was created a while ago to keep us safe. We need to get anxious and a little fearful about the future so we can plan, so we can be aware of situations and not get killed by the mountain lions or something, right? So it's created for a reason. Too much anxiety is where it's just like a big no-no. Because as of right now, I'm not worried about mountain lions and I'm outside. I'm, I'm chilling. I'm drinking my chai latte. Like, I'm good. I'm not worried about it. Having too much anxiety on a daily basis is where it becomes the big no-no. We don't want that. We shouldn't be worried about just waking up or going to the bathroom and showering, falling in the tub. We shouldn't have to worry about like going outside and getting attacked or mugged or something. Some of those things are real, but for the most part, most of us, hopefully all of us are safe to a certain extent. So having too much anxiety, not the greatest feeling and not the most necessary thing to happen. And trauma, right? Trauma does happen, I would say, for almost everybody. There's the big T trauma and there's the little T trauma. Big T trauma, I would consider it as life-threatening, life injury, a giant emotional strife. So that can go anywhere from a car accident, witnessing a murder, war, a really traumatizing breakup, your dog passing away randomly like those i would consider those as big t traumas because that for me big t is something that shifts your spirit really really badly not for the good right little t trauma would be falling off of your bike getting yelled at every once in a while by like a teacher or a mom or something getting locked out of the house by accident it's not big big t traumas but they can be traumatizing to a person who hasn't experienced a lot of big t traumas and Trauma, it's not something we want to have on the daily basis, right? We don't want that. And there is a thing as chronic trauma, right? It's chronic little T trauma. MS kind of falls underneath that category because it's this chronic thing that probably will never go away and you're stuck with it. You're stuck with the fear of it. You're stuck with the physical symptoms. You're stuck with the spiritual symptoms of it. And those little T traumas can really affect a person throughout the day and throughout the life. Trauma is sometimes inescapable, right? Life is going to happen. Nobody's going to be able to tell you what's going to happen or how intense it can be. And I'm really sorry for anybody who has experienced any type of big T or little T trauma. It's not a fun time. It's really hard and it's challenging. And it really does shift and rock your world. And it's hard to go from your pre-trauma to having the trauma to post-trauma. It's really hard to go through that flow and trauma can cause anxiety and depression. And depending on the trauma you have, it can cause the everyday anxiety or the everyday depression. And 
it can be a lot. It's a lot to live life like that. I'm not a person who believes in the life happens for a reason or that happened for a reason. I understand what people are saying by that, but I don't believe that you have to go through something really bad. I don't think you should have to get a chronic illness or disease or witness something really bad. I don't think that should happen for you to live a life that's worth it or whatever. I think life happens and it's our job and our responsibility to ourselves to understand what happened, how it affected us, and what can we learn from that experience so we can move forward as a stronger, more aware, more emotionally evolved and understanding person so that life is a little more easier and a little more balanced. Yeah, I love that. And that brings it perfectly back to when you were talking about mind, body, and soul, you know, is that trauma that you're experiencing or experienced in the past, or is that anxiety more of that soul piece? And are there things that you can do with the mind and body or talk to a counselor about it? So that is really insightful. This has been so insightful, just the whole conversation. Can you share if anyone listening is interested in working with you or learning more from you? Is there a website or a link or anywhere someone can go to find you? Yeah, for sure. If anybody wants to ask me questions, work with me, I am trying to do a little more independent stuff. So I'm not going through insurance right now because that's a lot of paperwork that I do not want to do. And that's a boundary I'm trying to set with myself. So I'm trying to do more independent stuff. But if anybody wants to reach out to me, you can email me at natalie.allen.mhc at gmail.com or you can text me at 857-362-8070. And I will put the email and the phone number too in the show notes if anyone is driving or can't look right now. Look later, that information will be there for you. Natalie, thank you again. I appreciate your time, your expertise and all of your insightful thoughts. Thank you. It's so good to do this with you. And this is my first podcast. So I'm really thankful and honored that it gets to be with you. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.